Today's episode of Nerder She Wrote is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nerder She Wrote on the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Dufour, joined as I am every single week. Nobody can complain. By Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. What's up, fellas? Even though we just talked for 40 minutes. What's up? Not, not a whole lot, man. How are you doing, Dave? I'm great. Couple of couple of little uh, programming notes. The Athletic has added comments for podcasts on the app. Uh, I think they're going to be expanding that to the website in the coming future. Uh, but for now, subscribers can actually comment on individual episodes on the app and uh yeah we're gonna be checking those out so get in there uh if you want to talk to us about stuff that we talked about on the show and uh, i think we'll probably wind up using that for at least one future mailbag um you know we'll see how it goes we're, we're gonna throw up the trial balloon uh but yeah give us some comments on the episode if you like what you hear if you don't like what you hear i mean i guess you can comment if you want I imagine we I won't know. respond to that comment. I mean, we we want to discourage <laughs> we want to discourage uh, any any negativity. But you know, I mean, if it's constructive criticism, I'm here for it. I can only see praise, uh, Dave. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you know, that's the Ethan Strauss rule, right? Like, I'll retweet all praise. That's that's what you know. I stole that from Ethan. I think it works for me. And we also uh, are continuing our initiative to point out small businesses uh, and restaurants that are still running during the you know the COVID-19 issues that we're all dealing with and Seth and Mo both have recommendations uh I guess Mo you can go first great well let me tell you folks about a small little watering hole in little Tokyo called Wolf and Crane if you're a big fan of Japanese whiskey and all that stuff this is the type of place for you it's one of my favorite places unfortunately with the way things have gone with COVID-19 and everything, they're they're currently closed, but we need to support all our local businesses as much as possible. If you're fully capable and can, and I highly recommend doing it, you can buy a gift card at wolfandcranebar.com. You know, this, this is basically what you're doing is you're paying for a drink in advance. Buy gift cards, send them out to your friends. This is a great spot. It's phenomenal. Little Tokyo, great bartenders. They need our support right now. So again, wolfandcranebar.com is where you should go. Get a gift card. As soon as this thing opens up, get ready to roll, and, and you might even catch me there. Well, only if you're unlucky. That's so not true, Dave. People yeah, love yeah. me. That's, if that's, you do see Mo there, buy him, a, buy him a good whiskey. All I know is Dave's no longer invited. <laughs> uh, Seth, uh, what do you got? Uh, so there's, uh, everyone's probably tried a bunch of different meal services at this point. I just wanted to give a shout out to Milltown Eats as our, our, a local kind of, uh, relies on, on local produce and, 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 uh, and products uh, called Milltown Eats. And, uh, it's been a really good service and it's, it's really helped us, uh, during this time keep a lot of fresh produce in our diet. 
uh, without kind of overburdening uh, supermarkets and and um, th- th- this was a company that we've we've been using for a while and they were way out ahead in terms of of making sure they were taking appropriate safety precautions. Um, we were very concerned about stuff like that, obviously, when the, the COVID situation started going down. So we actually uh, corresponded with the owners, and they were they had, they already had a plan in place to make sure both the employees were operating safely and that the the deliveries were as as uh, dis- as disinfected and, and and clean as possible. So uh, and, and the, the the meals are great. Uh, uh, right now we just we just got a delivery. It has like parmesan crusted chicken, um, uh, a beef moussaka, and and are, are two of the ones from this week. And and uh, one of the best things I'll say about them is that w- with most meal kit services, it says it takes twenty minutes to prepare, and an hour and twenty minutes later you're eating dinner. Uh, the timing on this is actually sort of corresponds to how long it takes to actually make them. So for folks in and around Milwaukee, uh, MilltownEats.com, uh, 1L in Milltown. Um, and we really appreciate what they've done for us. Now, I, I'm going to be honest here, as I try to be every week. I didn't want to talk about The Last Dance on this show because every single podcast is going to talk about The Last Dance. I mean, it's, you know, we, we don't have basketball games. This is, you know, probably the most anticipated sports documentary. I don't know. Has there been a, any sports documentary as anticipated as this? I mean, ESPN teased this thing for two years. It was like a Marvel movie. And yet, here we are about to talk about the Chicago Bulls from 25 years ago. And unlike most uh, Marvel movies, it delivered. Well, hold on. Yeah, I mean, we can we can argue that on a different I, podcast. I, I enjoyed it. If but, you guys didn't enjoy it, I don't know what's wrong with you. No, 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 no. no, no, no. That's I, I, I don't mean it's the other the way. Marvel it's slander the other way. is oof. Uh, Marvel. I mean, well, not all of them hit. Not all good. of them hit. Some of them suck. No, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure you're about to go into the the how great Suicide Squad was. No, I'm a Marvel fan. I'm not even man. Look at you trying to paint a picture. I don't even Suicide Squad was terrible. That's a whole different podcast. That's, a, that's okay. the worst back, movie I've ever back seen. On. Anyway, go on. Back to basketball. Okay. The problem is that Mo and Seth both forced my hand. Uh, Seth over at The Athletic wrote a great breakdown of what Michael Jordan, you know, what he would look like now, essentially. Looking at the statistics, looking at the film, and did a really great breakdown of what Michael Jordan would look like on a modern NBA court. And Mo captured the essence of Scottie Pippen, who was literally the ultimate Swiss Army Knife basketball player. So we have to talk about it because there was no way I'm going to let these these things go. They are too good. So I, I want to start with Michael Jordan. The one thing that people love to bring up anytime you talk about Jordan. Well, he did it without the three. So, of course, the mid range is better. And I thought, Seth, that your piece was a fantastic takedown of that. Well, if you want to call it a takedown, that's fine. Um, <laughs> no, it is. It's a takedown. Yeah. It really is a takedown because it's such a the straw man has been burned to the ground. The mid range is a bad shot for ninety five percent of players in the NBA because ninety five percent of the players in the NBA can't shoot it like Michael Jordan. No, I think that's that. I, I responded on Twitter to one to, to there was um, I, I don't remember if it was a coach or a commentator was was talking about wanting to get 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 his his players in the gym, you know, working on their mid range game, like in response to this. And like my response is like, you know, to be like Mike, you've got to be like Mike. Um, and this is this is something that hasn't changed from then to now. That the players for who 
these kind of mid-range operating, you know, the, the, the turnaround, twisting, turning, pull-up-in-your-face shots. Like, guys still take those shots now, but it's still the same players. It's the, the high-usage stars that are the players who get to take those shots. Michael Jordan would shoot plenty from the mid-range today. Michael Jordan would, would shoot that elbow fadeaway today because that would be his go-to shot. You know, no one no one tells Chris Paul to not get, get that little elbow fadeaway because he's really good at it, and that's... His role in the team is, oh, shot clock is running down. We gotta, we gotta get something. That's a shot that that Chris knows he can get to. It. Like, also, Daryl Morey sought out Chris Paul for that reason. Not, I mean, not just the the other stuff that Chris Paul is good at, but he's so great when you need a bailout shot, and it happens to be a mid ranger. I mean, Daryl Morey is, you know, the the nerd king of analytics, right? And he went out to find a guy that could hit some mid range shots. So it's just. It's exhausting. No, so I just to to I want to bring like first of all, please read the article. I thought it was it came together nicely. It's very but good. But there's there's kind of three points to make there. One, it wasn't that Michael Jordan like chose to not shoot the three. It was nobody shot threes. I mean, you, you've you've the the stat that's that that I've probably done as much as anyone to to do to death over the years is you know comparing the most threes Larry Bird ever shot in a season. To how many, like, the most he ever took in a season was, I believe, 237. Uh, In the last full season of NBA play, I want to say that 126 players took at least that many. I could have the exact number. But somewhere somewhere between, like, 125 and 150 players took as many threes last year as Larry Bird did in in his most prolific attempt season. Uh, and Larry Bird, I think, is on the short list of greatest shooters of all time. So if he's not shooting threes, nobody was shooting threes. Um, again, you go to, you go back to that the famous game winning shot against Georgetown. That shot looks weird now. It looks weird because there's no three point line on the court, and that and so it's just visually jarring because you you're not totally sure where he is. And so that's the environment he came up in. It wasn't a thing that people did. Uh, so that's point one. Point two is, as I said, you know. If, you, if Michael Jordan played today, Michael Jordan would still get all the mid-range shots he wanted. But point three is, if he played today, he'd also take a ton of threes. Because Michael Jordan, uh, in addition to being a great mid-range creator, was also a great spot-up shooter. But even star players, when they're taking spot-up shots now, are taking spot-up threes. Uh, so he would, take, he would take several hundred. He would take three to four hundred threes a year if he, if he was in yeah. today's game. And he would shoot them well, based on all the evidence that we have. Right. I mean, he was a he was an incredible 16 to 20 foot shooter. He's an incredible, I mean, a very, very good, like mid 80s free throw shooter. All the stuff that we look at when we're trying to extrapolate, you know, guys coming out of college, guys coming from other leagues who maybe didn't shoot a ton of threes. Can this guy shoot? All those indicators are extremely positive for him. There's no reason to think that he wouldn't. And as you pointed out in the article, not to totally spoil it and it doesn't totally spoil it. But in the seasons where he made it a priority to take the threes, he shot. He hit them at a really good clip. Yeah, I think the idea that Jordan, I mean, the most competitive guy we know, wouldn't try to take advantage of the the three point shot is, is is kind of silly. Like he would have added that to his game for sure. Like no question about that. And I think that's where you know these these people get lost now in in this whole mid range debate and things like that. But I do want to push back just a little bit on something you said, Seth, uh, that will probably get me in trouble with you guys. But I don't see anything wrong with players working on their mid-range game now. Like, why, why, wouldn't, you, why wouldn't I want a guy 
to be able to hit all their shots or work on all the aspects of the game. Like, I don't want... Well, that's not the issue. What he had brought that's up... Not the issue. No, hold on. What he had brought up about the coach who had tweeted at him, the, 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 the I want my guys working on mid-range shots or whatever. Like, if you're going... And I get the point. Like, the guys who are taking mid-range shots right now are because they're damn good at it. Chris Paul, everybody we've talked about, right? They're damn good at those shots. And those are the guys we want taking it. To get there, and and, and this is more like my thinking of players in development and in, in the younger range and working their on their game, I want them working on all all facets of the game. Like I don't I don't want them to just ignore the the mid range shot. Like I, I, I don't mind a uh, a coach saying I want to get my team in the gym and, and, and work on mid range. Now if he wants them exclusively working on mid range, nah, that's a problem. You gotta right, add so- that into everything. And that's something that I think, you know, I, I, I wonder if down the road we're gonna lose that. Every player should be working on every shot. Right. That no question. The idea is if you're going to base your offense around mid-range jump shots, you're going to lose a lot. The math doesn't work out. So if you've got five guys on the court and let's say nobody's three or four arguing of them, that though. Right. No, but this is I mean, you know, this is what I take from seeing a coach say we're going to be working on our mid-range game. Well, we're going to take more mid-rangers. Well, congratulations. You're going to lose more games. The three-point shot is, I mean, if there's no line out there, it's a mid-ranger, technically. This this line does, it just does tricks to people's brains. Otherwise, smart people. So I, I, I take most point. It's a good point. I think it's it's more just... I, I'm I think leaving. I, that was, he just said it was a good point. Yeah, good night, guys. Yeah. I'll see you all next week. <laughs> we got rid of him, Dave. I just had to compliment him <laughs> once. Awesome. Uh, no, it, it, it's, it's more just a matter of emphasis. But it's also like, again, what... What do you mean when you're talking about work on the mid-range game? I mean, if you're talking about guys like coming off curls to 17 feet, what are you doing? If like you're going through a series where it's a, you know, a guy, you, you, you kick the ball out to a guy in the slot, he pump fakes one dribble into the elbow. Okay. That's like, I can see that as part of like a progression and, and, but what are the shots that you're, it's not just mid-range as, you know, anything in that, uh, as someone who used to write for me at Nylon Calculus called it the donut of doom, kind of between the <laughs> between the basket area and the three-point line. It's not just every shot from there. It's the shots from there that, not to the ones you're looking for, but the ones you're, you're sort of okay that you end up with aren't the catch-and-shoot ones. They're the, the guy has to create for whatever reason. And so if you're working on kind of that, it, it is appropriate like mix for a guy like again if you have a guy who is his game is he's a spot up player how much time do you want that guy spending working on a triple step jab series from the elbow zero right but i do want him working on the pump fake dribble oh, into sure, sure, absolutely. A, a shot like there's, yeah. there's it's it's not just the one thing right like there's it's it's all of the there's a it's like you said the progression like you know i think what and i don't think this is you seth but there are people who are so ingrained in the mid-range is a is a bad shot we're not working on that at all like that's actually one of my problems with James Harden when everybody calls him the best offensive player on the you know to ever play the game like Daryl Morey was saying and things like that I go to me you can't be if you ignore a third of the court which is the mid-range like he never pulls up for the mid-range shot now I get the analytics I get everything behind it and all of that stuff but to me there are times when teams are going to he that is the shot for him to take in the situation he's in and he refuses to take it and then tries to force up a bad uh triple step back three or uh, a layup over you know two seven footers or whatever like it's 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 those type of things that i think 
you know, I think we tend to forget sometimes that in mid-range. Yeah, you like that one? <laughs> the difference, though, is the way Harden does it, so much of what he does is in that foul hunting, which has other values outside of the points. And so I, I think, like, using Harden, that, that's the extreme that, that, example. No, but that's, that's exactly how the Spurs beat them. Uh, three years ago, or, or, or however many years it goes, it was in the in the in the playoff series. Their attitude was literally: as soon as he gets into the three point inside the three point line, we'll just meet him at the rim. They gave him the mid range shot over and over again, and he never well, took. That's it. the Spurs defense, though. The Spurs give everyone the mid range. Thanks for telling me the Spurs defense, Dave. I <laughs> thank you for that. Um, I don't know if you, you're aware you know, of this, Mo. You know, but no, but the idea was though it was such an extreme for them. It, even though they give the mid range, they never back off the guy the way they would back off That's of, true. of Harden. It was literally, oh, he's in here, cool. Instead of us trying to pressure him, you know, at the elbow, we'll just meet him at the rim. Like the guy, the defenders would just drop all the way to the rim. So, and 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 the thing is. It worked because he just never took the mid range shot in that sense. And that's my, my, that's why I use Harden as that example. I'm not, I, you know what? I actually agree with you. I think that, that I know because I'm part right. of what, no, no, you are <laughs> correct here, right? Like telegraphing, th- there is a, an artificial ceiling when you telegraph that if it's not a three or a layup, you're not going to take it. But this is where, again, back to Seth's point, the elite players, are going to take what's given to him, and a lot of times it's going to be the mid ranger, and and Harden probably could unlock a whole another level by taking those open mid rangers when he gets them, you know, late in the clock or whatever. So I'll go back to I think this might have been I said this one of the first or second times we recorded uh, together uh, way back in the summer in the time before um, was that you you basically from a from like a game theoretic standpoint. You want to take enough mid-rangers that the opponent guards the mid-range and no more. And I think that's and I think that's kind of the point Mo's making is that uh, that there's there's a line of of okay, well we have to at least honor this that uh, that that perhaps Harden is under that line. So if he took just enough, that's like oh he might throw he might throw up this floater. So I got to stay on. I can't just like sprint to the rim. Um, if he if he does just that, then that forcing the defense to to account for that opens up both the outside and the inside just that little bit more and and so you you do sacrifice like it's worth the sacrifice of a couple three quote unquote bad shots to get that but it's like baseball right it's like pitching in baseball you have to some you have to set up pitches you have to set up shots so if if i'm just throwing everything inside on you as a pitcher I have to throw some away as well. And so, and I think with, with scoring in, in basketball, it's a similar way. And this is why the guys that can score at every single level, like Michael Jordan, who's the best to ever do it, are so different than the other guys, which is why I don't want the other guys focusing on the lower quality shots because they can't do every shot. It's not worth it to have them taking them. Yeah, no, my my argument, and the only thing I'm, I agree with all of that. The only thing I'm saying is just younger players shouldn't not, work on on oh, mid-range that's yeah that's kind of my 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 bigger emphasis on it because i do feel like there is a growing movement of people not working on it and i think that's a hole in the game that can be exploited this is why what seth was saying this is why chris paul is so damn difficult to guard he can hit every shot and that's why and you got to defend all of that and that opens up not just his own shot but passing opportunities for him to find other guys and i think that's kind of the importance of it and to get back to seth's article you know that's where jordan I mean, Jordan's going to seize on that 
opportunity. I mean, you know, there, there's no question if, if he's playing now, he's shooting a ton of threes. I think he's playing the whole court in that level. If he, he would take the mid range when he has to, but what he would want, if he can, if he can get it a good look, it's going to be a three, you know, or, or attack the paint and so on. All right. So now Mo, Scotty Pippen, what's he, what does he look like in 2020 NBA basketball? Cause he wasn't really, a, I mean, he wasn't an amazing shooter. He wasn't, but, but you know what's funny, Dave? He's very good. He's, he's yeah. good, but you know what's funny, Dave, too? Like when you were talking about uh, when when Jordan started to emphasize shooting threes and, and, and was shooting it as a pretty good clip, you know, in the 96, 97 seasons for, the, for Pippen, and I didn't even put this in the article. Y'all are getting some bonus stuff now. You know, those were the most three-point attempts he averaged at 5.2, which at that point, like, during that time, that's kind of insane. That's that, that's that's a ton. That's that's like Harden shooting, you know, averaging twelve or thirteen. Um, you know, he shot thirty seven percent and thirty six percent from three. Like those are pretty good numbers. And like, you know, like he he has that he had that ability. It dipped towards the end of his career. But you know, the thing about Scotty more than anything else is he could just do everything on the court, plain and simple. Like you're talking about a guy with Draymond Green's defensive IQ with Giannis Antetokounmpo's length, you know, and, and like, that's, I mean, that stuff's just amazing. And then on the offensive end, you know, he, beyond just scoring, you know, he was a hell of a playmaker, you know, and, 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 and was monumental in making sure that the triangle was run because we all know Jordan's going to break off the play whenever he wants, right. you know, and, and, and as well, he should, but, Right, the, <laughs> you know, but certain 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 privileges are afforded to uh, the, the greatest know, the Michael Jordans of the yeah, world. Yeah, you know, that, that's fine. That's, you know? that's a whole and, other discussion, which we'll probably get into next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to see if we can get Phil Jackson in here for that one. Um, the uh, but the but the thing was like he was responsible for making sure everybody else kind of got touches and and were in the right spots and and monumental in the movement. Like he allowed his play on the offensive end. Let Mike be Mike. So that, and then he, he made sure everybody else got touches. I mean, he had great passes. He had great, like, feel for whenever guys are cutting and things like that. I mean, overall, I mean, Scotty, we've seen a lot of guys come in this league and try to be a jack of all trades. And we all know the phrase jack of all trades, master of none. But Scotty mastered being a jack of all trades. Yeah, I think Seth, I'm, I think you said this somewhere. I, I saw you say this somewhere. Scotty Pippen is like, he could be like a, you know, top top five or six point guard that you could also say, Hey, go guard that guy. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so about who anybody. Right. And you, know, you, just, you think of, you know, think of what Andre Iguodala has been. Now think of that, of that guy being able to play at that level for starter minutes all the time. And also being, I don't know, 30% better at everything. Like that's that, you know, I think Andre Iguodala is a borderline hall of famer. Um, I think that, you know, you take him from a 25-minute-a-game player to a 36-minute-a-game player, and he's also just better. He's bigger. He, he's more durable. He's a better shooter. He's a, he's a better passer. He's a better defender. Um, and this is none of these are knocks on Andre Iguodala. Um, that's like, you know, the, the, the idealized, like, second banana. Like, um, I think I, – I really do think Scottie Pippen might be the most underrated player in NBA history. I think, well, he's, I think because- he's a top 25 player in NBA history. I think I think maybe even higher than that, to be honest with you. So being being the second best player in the league when you play with the first best player in the league, right, is is what kind of triggered this. I mean, there there were I mean, I feel like in the documentary they said this that he was the second best player in the league. 
But I always felt that way as a kid watching it. I, I couldn't think of anybody who was better than Scottie Pippen except for Michael Jordan. I mean, I guess there's an argument to be made that, you know, Elijah Wan uh, might have been during that that run. Um, but I'm not sure. It, it, like when, in my heart, I felt, oh, yeah, Scottie Pippen is the second best player in the league. Yeah, you know, the other thing, too, about Scotty and really this Bulls team, like his ability to be this versatile allowed them to actually play small. Like, you know, there's there are lineups out there against the Utah Jazz where he's guarding Ostertag, Rodman's guarding Malone, they have Kukoc out there guarding Russell, and then you have Kerr, Harper, and Jordan. Like, I mean, they were actually playing relatively small before we even named it small ball. Like there's, and that only happens because a guy like Scotty who can also switch and rotate to different guys. I mean, I have clips of him of going from guarding a guard in a pick and roll into going into the post and, and, and switching onto the big man and then rotating over and, and, and taking away the drive from the guard. Like you can't do that without a guy like Scotty. I mean, that's just high level stuff. And I think that's where, that's the kind of stuff we tend to forget about Scotty sometimes. And when I mean we, I mean the collective we, not the three of us. The collective. So, yeah. So yeah, you yeah. guys remember the the I mean the the 91 finals um where he was basically they decided, you know what? Scotty's just going to pick up magic full court. Oh, dude, he, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, I have a clip of it. Yeah. <laughs> and so that like, you know, that you know, the guy who's able to Harry Mad- Magic Johnson with the basketball, like that's that's what we're talking about here. Uh, he would he would be you know if you were the the easy answer is oh man I'd love to see Jordan now but to a certain degree Scottie Pippen would be even more fascinating to watch now. God, he because he, teams would have to scheme their offense to try to minimize him it, almost in a way that they did when Kawhi was still with the Spurs where they would try to get him stuck in the corner. <laughs> right, it's like yeah. it's like you you know the the. Uh, uh, Daryl Rivas would never get interceptions because they never they never right. threw to his side of the field. I mean, it's it's it, yeah. yeah yeah Rivas Island like it's that uh it's that whole thing. I mean that's exactly what I think would tend to happen. But the funny thing is like I still think Scotty would just find a way to still disrupt some stuff, you know, and well, and, 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 well, and, 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 and just like his God his just notion to just the ability to just diagnose and go the second it happened was just. Like it felt almost two steps faster than even the offensive player that's making the cut. One of the things that was so incredible about those Bulls teams is that you had, you know, the two best perimeter defenders in the league on the team because Michael Jordan was also, you know, phenomenal defender. Yeah. Freaking, you know, lunatic defender. I mean, um, the only thing they were missing was Gary Payton and they would have, you know, just held team. It would have been like the Detroit Pistons. In the early 2000s, teams just would not have been able to score at all. But their point of attack guys were never very good. Uh, Unless it was Pippen. Yeah. Anyways, big fan of Pippen. Highly recommend you go read my article. <laughs> so now on to something that's, you know, just a little bit more fun. We, we thought that uh, maybe we should talk about the draft. Nah. But not the NBA yes. draft. Because <laughs> none of us want to do that work right now. Uh, but Seth, you did... You know, and, and I'll admit, I did roll my eyes a little bit because I normally hate this kind of stuff. But uh, I checked it out, and uh, it was pretty fun. You got together with uh, Jason Jenks, uh, Sean McIndoe, uh, and Jason Stark, and you guys all drafted things 
from other sports to apply to your sport. And I know that like that sounds like a, a crazy conceit. It's over on The Athletic um, so people can read it right now and, and you know, obviously comment on it and, and just tear these guys down. Um, but I did think your draft for the NBA was was interesting. So I thought let's uh, let's go through. Probably would be fun to, to talk about before, some of this stuff. Before we do it, Seth, can you just yeah. explain exactly what you guys were drafting in the sense? Just because like I'll be honest, when you first sent that text message to yeah. us about it, I totally did not understand what you were you, you were drafting. And this was like uh, weeks ago. And and I and I sent you suggestions that were all just about basketball, and that's right, right, <laughs> I'm sure right. you must have been looking at it, going like, "This makes no sense." Mo doesn't get it. Can you yeah. just explain for <laughs> the for the for the other Mo's out there? Yeah, Mo, Mo does not get the show. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> um, so it was basically just the idea of okay, every you know you you always we've done this, and we'll get to that in one of my picks. I think you always kind of look at things about other sports, and it's like, man, I wish we could have some of that. And so that that's that's the I think the motivating force behind behind this this uh, the, this draft was that, that 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 you look at you look at another sport and you just you you're you're jealous you're jealous that they have something that 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 you want that would make your quote unquote your sport better and so that's that's just the basic idea now we were we were so we were limited to since we had a, an NBA and NHL and NFL and an MLB guy we were limited to those four sports cuz otherwise you know there's 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 stuff from 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 other sports that that uh, that I think would be pretty cool too um i which uh, i don't think we had a chance to get into in the piece but like if there's a way to bring something like you know the boxers touching gloves at the start of the last round if there's a way to 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 get some of that, like that's one of my favorite things in sports. If there's a way to to bring in the Australian rules football goal signal, which if you guys have never seen, the guy does like it's freaking awesome. It's, it's amazing. I love it. Yes, um, yes. Um, uh, like this is this this is maybe marks me as incredibly basic, but something like uh, the, the 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 New Zealand rugby team's haka before the game. Like that, um, so, but none of those things were on the board because those are obviously things that aren't from uh, the the kind of the four major U.S. leagues. So we were we were limited to that. Um, and so my my strategy going in was, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we talk about on this pod that uh, um, you know things we see that you could improve the game with, and I really tried to uh, to uh, really focus on those areas. Uh, and it's unfortunate that your first pick wasn't silenced during the game. Uh, just before we before we dive into that, before we dive into the pick and Dave's biggest pet peeve, uh, I've seen the Haka live set when we were when I was with the Australian national team. We played New Zealand to qualify for the Olympics three different times, and the Austra- the, the Haka is very much less intimidating when it's a guy like um, Kirk Penny doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I am dead serious. Shots fired. I, no, Shots no fired. offense, but it's just like, you know, we've seen the video when the New Zealand rugby team does it and I see it on the internet, I'm scared. When I saw it in person, I was like, and it wasn't that team, it was it was Kirk Penny, it was um Steven Adams wasn't on the team, so it it, it probably would have been more terrifying with him. But when it's guys like that, I was like, mm, I think I'm okay. <laughs> Okay, so so time for some draft analysis, <laughs> some some direct. This is actually something that maybe it might be a first. Has anyone ever done a draft and then had to analyze their own draft publicly right after? 
I so this, so so, so uh, we're we're gonna rip Seth yeah. here now. This is gonna well, be. No, fun. So this, I have this is something. There's a there's a message board that I used to be on that we did all we did going back to like the mid 2000s. We did all kinds of these kind of random like draft a thing, and then we you know have threads to argue about it. And uh, I just the favorite one we ever did was we were like draft a Hollywood studio. Uh, which was which was it ended up if none of these things ever ended because they kind of petered out, but just it was the the discussion and of all these kind of historical figures across a various thing that that were always super interesting. Right. So this is this is this is kind of getting back to my internet roots a little bit. Okay, so the, your number one pick. Uh, by the way, I should note that Seth somehow uh, tricked these guys into giving him the first pick. Good in job, every round. Good job, Seth. Um, that is. <laughs> That is an advanced move. Uh, but your first pick was the NBA uh, has drafted the Stanley Cup from the NHL. And I think that this is genius. I mean, we, for as much as, as you want to talk about the, 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 the quest for the championship is about the journey, like making the object worth the journey is also <laughs> like like the the Larry O'Brien trophy is, is fine it's cool it's better than the World Cup trophy i think it's it's maybe on par with the Lombardi it's better than than the than i think it's better than the World Series trophy the Stanley Cup is majestic just the the physical object the way you got to pick it up with two hands the names on the 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 you know the 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 the, the names of the winners getting engraved on the trophy Everyone taking a lap with it, like these things are, you know, that's it's it is the it is the best like physical representation of great achievement in sports. I also think, I mean, hockey uniquely because the the rink is more like a stage because of the the glass. I think it's actually perfect when those guys do get to skate around with the cup. I mean, an NBA court as soon as the championship you know is sealed. There's eight thousand people on that court. Yeah, it's not it's not as easy. I think you're right though, Dave. The, I I do love just the presentation of the cup, and then each guy goes skates around with it, hands it to the next guy. Like I do definitely enjoy that aspect of it. I love this pick, Seth. I'm gonna ding you for a few others later, but I, I, I see. I, love I like this one. I I like it because it's so it's the guys like it's clearly more valued than the individual ring. I mean, it is a that's a team accomplishment. And with that thing having so much value to those guys, it's it's pretty clear that it's like a special thing to them. And I I do I mean I what that's probably somewhat the differences between the sport, but it's also again just like getting to hold that thing probably makes that that that's just a, a representation of it. I, I I like there's no I. I I have a hard time totally putting into words, but if anyone's ever seen like the captain of the winning team like skate around with it, you can you can just see that that like the the way the guy looks at the Stanley Cup is like you don't look at the NBA trophy that, with that kind of thirst. Put it that way. I, I mean, listen, right, Al, right. Alex Ovechkin when he won it, like that was probably the coolest way to see him skate with it, and and, and his it, the thirst you're talking about is never defined more than when Ovechkin won the cup. I would argue it's hard to be thirsty for something that you can't put a beverage in. So it's a good point. You know, you, well, maybe I mean, that's the issue. I mean, yeah, I, it, 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 change it. Change it to a hoop instead of a ball. You well, know, like and, you, and then make it so you can put some booze in there. Do you remember the old ESPN NBA on ESPN commercial where the 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 Stanley Cup? Or I mean, I'm sorry, the the Larry O'Brien Trophy held guacamole inside the ball. Like that would be interesting. 
Well, that's uh, no, that's that <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, our our friend Zach Harper uh, had this story a couple years ago. It was uh, Brent Berry uh, cut the top half of his Slam Dunk Championship uh, <laughs> a trophy off and now use it as like a dip bowl or a candy dish? Oh, that's yeah. perfect. Amazing. Perfect. All right, uh, your your round two pick. Uh, the NBA drafts Tony Romo style announcers from the NFL. We've talked a little bit about <laughs> just this, a bit. Uh, you know, <laughs> just a little bit. I feel like I do this every um, day. <laughs> and, and the the biggest, my biggest issue with the you know the big time color commentary teams that we get are there's not enough focus on the game and the positives and the celebration of the game. And and I know these guys love basketball. And I just wish that they expressed that to us. But also, hey, uh, you've got a lot of experience, either as a player or a coach. Um, man, you could use that to really educate the audience and share your enthusiasm for the sport in the way that Tony Romo does. Now, we have we have said recently, like this year, some guys have come onto the national stage that have been better. I think Jim Jackson's been great. Uh, Stan has been great. Um, but like you said, it, you said before the show, it just, I don't know if Stan can make it more fun. Um, but he at least can educate. I need one of the, one of the two, not necessarily both. So I, both no, I want to be, I want to be clear about this. Stan can be fun. It just, it, it's hard for him to sound like he's having fun. Right. And, Cause it's all, you know, he's yeah. coaching. And I think that's that. That's a big part of what, like, like there, there's there's an undercurrent of any of Tony Romo's calling games. Like, man, this is awesome that we're doing this. Like, that just that feeling. Like, right. and that's you know that like you know you you're bringing joy to the moment, and that really I think that's really important. I, well, I think like you know we we've I've talked about it before, but even in just going through the old games, like it's fun listening to guys really just talk about the game. Uh, you mentioned earlier Bill Walton, you know, and and as. Love crazy it. as he was like he was fun and you could feel his excitement with him paired with uh uh steve snapper jones, jones. W- was was phenomenal like the two of them like there'd be times where they would just argue with each other in a way that was fun and playful and not like the the what we get now but there was also well they had a good bit yeah but on top of that too they also like we also had you know we've had good moments of guys like breaking down plays and things like that in in the sense of like that's kind of what makes Romo gets excited and part of it is just the nature of football but like you know when he sees a play that he knows is coming or how the defense is when he's reading the defense right then and there and he gets excited you could sense that but there are times where some of these old games I watch they come back and you know Mike Fertella the the telestrator czar breaking down stuff with his his circles and his arrows and things like that like that's the stuff, man. We need to try to get back to in our in our announcing in general. Like, I think it's just more fun and 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 and, and more interesting and in teaching the game and doing it in a lively way. So, Seth, I approve of this pick as well. Two for and, two. And Legler gets <laughs> to do a little bit of that, like in the studio. But I, I'm going to ask you guys now: name a guy who's one person you would want to hear call games that's currently not calling games. I mean, it's it. it uh, he was really he be, was really good be. at it, but, but now he obviously he works for the Spurs. Is, is Brent Barry? I thought Brent. Yeah, was, how dare uh, you steal that pick from me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brent's really good. I mean, listen. I I mean, he's a current player, but I think Draymond Green would be excellent. I think he would be really really good at it. You know who I think is going to be really good at it is Vince Carter. That's a good one. I like Vince. You know who I enjoy actually is at 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 more on the playful side of things is is Richard Jefferson. 
Like, he's been fun on the broadcast and things like that. And he'll be like, that's not as tough a shot as you think it is. Or, like, that looks easy, but that one's a lot harder. Like, he brings a fun little flavor to it and a little more uh, humor to the side of it. I I, I enjoy Richard Jefferson's uh, calling uh, games. And I just I just got a text from mystery producer Mike Smeltz, um, who hosts the Glue Guys, our Brooklyn Nets podcast. And he says Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr was very, very good. good. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like these guys get snatched up by teams for front office roles. What, what's going on with that? Something about being on TV. I don't know. Um, all right. Round three. And this one was a little bit not controversial, but we, we had a conversation about it before the show. Um, Seth, you want to draft the realism of the Madden games from the NFL. So. I want to preface this by I'm I'm not I'm not a I'm not much of a gamer anymore. Um, when I was a, when I was I was primarily FIFA for 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 like soccer sims. Um, and this is more about the the use of the game as kind of almost a an education tool. Like you, you, re, you read enough stories about players learning like offensive schemes and defensive defensive responsibilities and stuff like that. Because all that stuff gets programmed into Madden in in a pretty pretty realistic sort of way. Um, I don't think that the gameplay of of most basketball simulations really allows for the same kind of uh, level of precision for you know what uh, you know how you actually what's the timing to properly run a pistol set? How do you ice a pick and roll? What are the the ro- rotations? How do you how do you tag and recover uh, as a help man in a pick and roll and stuff like that? I don't think on a technical level, basketball games can be as instructive. And some of that is is that the football is just easier to do that because of the nature of the right. game. Well, but I still if if you could do that for basketball, that would be awesome because that kind of goes hand in hand with what the. Uh, the, the in, enjoyable but also educational announcer would do is really help fans understand a little bit more what they're seeing. And and I think understanding it allows you to enjoy it more. Yeah, I will say that 2K has been okay. I, it, there are certain just, you know, the sport itself makes it kind of difficult. I mean, with football games, you have to call a play every single time. We've been doing it since Tech Mobile, you know? Um, we, we're, we're, it's ingrained in us. We know right, we called Bo before this to the NBA. Tech, oh, yeah, you should have. I want Tecmo Bo in the NBA. Um, and, and then someone uh, says, well, yeah, Zion's here. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and so 2k is done. I, I think they did a really good job, but so much of their game is now focused about being online. Like they've essentially distilled a team sport in an individual game. If that makes sense. Like you, you control one person so much that it, you know, it winds up being, well, I'm, I'm going to play a Steph Curry essentially. And I'm just going to bomb 33s a game. I mean, which is the greatest offense you could possibly have. So I get it. Um, but yeah, the Madden games are, I mean, they're, they're running the real playbook. I'm just, I'm just going to, uh, be honest here. I haven't played a Madden game in God knows how long. Uh, I think I've played NBA 2K once. Maybe maybe uh, twice. So, uh, Seth, I'm just going to be indifferent here. But if NBA 2K wants to cut me a check and I and they need some help with uh, um, some of this stuff, I got it. I got gotcha. you. Don't try to take the job I want. Don't yeah, but you don't the have the resume I, I got. 
Uh, that's that is a good point. That is true. That is true. But I'm better at running my mouth, Mo. That's what matters. Th- this ain't about <laughs> running your mouth here. This ain't about you're worth what and, you can and, negotiate. And I'm the one that just put it out there before you, Dave. Don't be mad. Uh, I should beat you to right. the punch. Mm. If, if my guy uh, the czar is listening, he'll 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 give you a call. Um, all right, fourth round pick. The NBA drafts an acceptance of analytics and evidence based decision making from Major League Baseball. Um. You know, advanced analytics has been around a lot longer in baseball. And so I think that that's why you have the acceptance. Um, do you think, Seth, that in another 10 years we'll be where baseball no. is? Part of it is the nature of baseball um, because baseball is such a uh, – the margins in baseball are small. And so to be a better team, it's about it – is, it's already recognized that it's accumulating – small edges here and there um but but over 162 games those you know a nickel here a nickel there sooner or later we're talking about real money kind of thing um but it's in in baseball it's basically like you either are smart or you lose at this point and basketball is not and might never quite get there just because the okay you you do everything wrong, but then the best player or one of the best three players of all time is born in Akron. So he he decides he wants to play for, for the team in Cleveland, regardless of what the team in Cleveland has done. And then you have LeBron for, you know, for not, I'm not even when he was drafted, when he like, obviously when he came back, um, you know, and, and that's a, uh, the, what they what the Cavs did or didn't do kind of didn't matter, um, right? I mean, it did obviously on again on the margins, but like you have LeBron and the other team doesn't. Um, okay, can can I come in now? Yeah, I didn't like this one. Oh, this was this was this was a waste of a pick to me. Oh, okay, in, in I terms see. of uh, oh, wow, I, wow. I, I cannot believe <laughs> I cannot believe Mo is standing in the way of progress and intellectualism. <laughs> This is this is a shock. No, no, Blow me I'm over standing. With a I'm I'm standing away with fake progress and bullshit. Um, there's the biggest problem with NBA analytics is it's it's incomplete and it can't record everything. Like there's no way to. You were right about the the analysis of of the whole. You know, you can do everything right and still lose, and do everything wrong and still win. You were right about that. That's that that's not an argument, but. Until we can figure out analytically no. how to really don't let me finish. <laughs> no. Okay. No. Okay. We're go. Please go. I. I okay. I'll, I'll mute for I'll mute for for twenty seconds and then I'm coming in hot. I'm gonna pitch. I'm gonna pitch Mo and Seth living together uh, on an island as a reality show. It's gonna be amazing. Oh, we'd get along. We just wouldn't talk uh, analytics. The uh, mm-hmm. um, but the idea of defensively. You still can't get a proper gauge of it because you can't record everything. In baseball, everything is recorded. Every swing has a certain record, right? Like every pitch matters. Every thrown ball matters. Every, you know, where it goes and things like that. Every single action is recorded. In basketball, it's not. And that's kind of my thing with with sometimes with us leaning too heavily into the analytics. And I'm not talking about intangibles or things like that. There's no way to talk about this guy rotating over and discouraging a drive before the drive even happens. There's no way of talking about this guy helping when the, when the, they're fronting on the post and, 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 and making sure that pass can't get through. And there's no way of, of 
of, of really accurately giving us every data, every data point. It's just, and it's not a fault of analytics. It's just not possible sometimes. And I think that's why I did not like this pick because I just don't think it's something we can ever get. Dave, would okay. you, would, would yeah, you care to, I, would you care to buffer before I, yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest problem is just, and we've talked about this a lot. I, I think relaying what analytics is actually trying to say versus what people think it's trying to say. And then the bad actors, I think if you just cut out the bad actors, the people who are arguing against analytics in bad faith, you could go a long way to getting people to accept it. And I'm not trying to say analytics isn't important. Like I value it and everything across the, the, the boards with it, but it's not like, like baseball. I understand it because everything is fully recorded in the sense of analytics kind of being the Bible. You know, I don't buy that in basketball, but okay, Seth, go ahead. I'll mute now. Is your problem? Wait, I think Mo is your biggest problem that the you think the box score doesn't capture enough information. It's not that I don't think it doesn't. I don't think it's fully capable of it. Yeah, because the, the box score is not good. But that's not just not just the box score. Advanced analytics as well. Like I feel like there are, there are holes, and primarily on the defensive side of things, I think there are holes in analytics that 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 makes it so hard well, to be there today. The whole goal is so, and I mean you know correct me if I'm wrong here, Seth. But I think the entire goal is to try to just get more good information. And no one who does analytics for a living thinks that they have all of the answers. Not a single one. Not in a way that a lot of scouts and coaches think they can go watch a guy play for 10 minutes and tell you everything you need to know about him. And so I think that if you can at least just get the two sides to say to each other, hey, we don't have all the answers, but let's work together and try to figure them out. But I mean, then you would go a long way. And that's what baseball's done. Where are we at the. Even the old guys in baseball accept the numbers. Okay, but where are we in the sense of like, I don't feel like we're at the point now where we're not getting acceptance across the majority of teams, of coaches even in, in analytics with, with how they're coaching and things like that. Who's not following analytics? I mean, that's more, I think it's more on the, anal- uh, the analyst side. So it's in studio, it's in the games, it's... Okay, that's fine. Uh, there are I, certainly coaches, yeah. I'm, there are certainly coaches that don't care for analytics. But I mean, like, who on the 30 teams? Well, plenty in, in coaching staffs. Front offices typically are, you know, are pro-analytics. Eh. I don't know, Seth... Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that, listen, we've been fighting this fight all year. We're, we're not going to solve no, it today. So, I, I, uh, okay, can I? May I? Yes, yes, yes. Um. Please. So Mo is sort of in, 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 and you're not the first person to do this, Mo. You're sort of engaging in what I like to call uh, the appeal to complexity, uh, which is essentially that because we don't know everything, we don't know anything. And really, you're not, you're not, you're not. The battle is not against the the uh, the hypothetical hundred percent knowledge of everything that has happened, past, present, and future. Your 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 bar that you're trying to clear is what everyone else knows, and so it almost doesn't matter what the what the general state of knowledge is, as long as your state of as long as your knowledge is better, and whether that's like hard, demonstrably provable facts, which many things in baseball have become, or stuff that is the result of more kind of inferential and statistical reasoning, you're not going for perfect; you're going for better. And the critique that, well, because we don't know everything about a player rotating and helping and denying blah, 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 
then we don't know anything. Therefore, we can't really factor it in or we should we should dismiss it or should downrate it or should make decisions based off the gut. And I like the cut of his jib. But this other guy, I don't think likes basketball because I once saw him play a, a computer game. That's what I'm fighting against. That's that's the acceptance I'm talking about. You can't you can't you can't wing it in baseball and it be acceptable. There is uh, in terms of process-based evidence-based decision making, there's still a ton of winging it in basketball. A ton of appeal to authority, a ton of appeal to complexity, a ton of appeal to conventional wisdom. And you know, I think that you can be more rigorous and evidence-based about all this. And that doesn't mean that you you toss out the baby with the bathwater and say this, you know, century plus of co- of hard-won coaching knowledge isn't valuable. Of course it is, but it it doesn't where it conflicts with observable reality, you have to have a mechanism to throw it out. And I think that it that is giving so much primacy that it is hard to to knock out kind of the bad idea that is proven to be wrong. I mean, I think that the that the really the, the the length of time it's taken for the very simple math of three greater than two to become like generally accepted and still not is evidence, and that's something that's like very straightforward. Stuff that is a little bit more complicated than that, but is eminently demonstrable from a statistical standpoint, is you're just you're you're pushing a boulder up so steep a hill, and so that's what I'm that's what I'm worried about. No, I don't think that that you have all the answers from statistics, but I think that with a more rigorous and balanced approach to using kind of the qualitative side of it from 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 the coaching perspective and the quantitative side, you'll lead to better decisions, knowing more. And most importantly, knowing more than the other guy knows. And that's how you win. The fifth and final round of this draft. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I need need a moment Uh, to catch my breath. I think I don't think I took one there. Yeah. All right. And this one is is good, but sort of already exists, but not in the way that that you drafted it. But the in arena goal accoutrements from the NHL, which, uh, you know, in your piece, you actually have the Chicago Blackhawks goal horn. I think that this could be completely demoralizing. You know, let's say, and you actually, you know, bring this up, a player hitting a three. Let's say uh, Steph Curry dribbling up court, fires off a 40-footer, and, you know, we hear Mike Breen yell, bang! And then you get that horn. Ahead to Curry. Curry sets, fires, puts it up. And maybe some steam shooting up toward the ceiling. Uh, I'd be okay with pyrotechnics, although people sit pretty close to the <laughs> to the basket, so I don't know about that. But man, that would be. So, I mean, you'd just be toast after that. There's no coming back. It's a knockout. It's amazing considering your guys' stance on no music or noise during gameplay. That that's a pick that you make. There's no, there's no <laughs> that's, gameplay. That's amazing. It's amazing. The guys are playing stick. basketball, but like, but you hate all of that stuff. That's all I hear from you, Dave. I do not. But you also, I like, have said, I have said numerous times 
My issue is I don't need to hear hypnotize. Okay, that's fine. When a guy's like setting up a high pick and roll. You're going to complain about this 10 years from now. If this came as true, I, and, and here's the thing is I've actually, this is going on in arenas, you know, for, I mean, we've talked about it before the show with Chris Paul in new Orleans with the Ric Flair. Woo. And, and, and they had, that's not enough. They had, uh, it needs to be demoralized. They had, uh, believe me, it's on the bench it is. And if, if he hit, if you hear it all game, it pisses you off or you have the, 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 the cheer squad running around with Peja Stojakovic big head every time he hits a three running across <laughs> the arena. It was this was it was great stuff. It's great in game entertainment. They're doing this. When I was at uh, a manager at USC and we were playing uh, University of Arizona in Arizona, they have the the cat growl every time they hit a three. And you want to know how annoying it, 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 it is so freaking annoying sitting on the bench when you're getting lit up and they're hitting threes and you just keep hearing Rawr! it drives you insane. So it, it, it works to the point exactly what you guys are saying. I'm just saying we already have that. I'm saying I want it up. I don't even I don't want it to 11. I want it to 15. Uh, that's the got to do yeah. more like let's go like I yes maybe maybe this is this is the wrestling fan in me but I want like I want Triple H Wrestlemania entrance for that three that like level of 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 production values for that like that situation where Golden State is on like the 8-0 run and Steph hits the 35 footer and like you know someone run on the court and like put him on a like have four four guys put him on a chair and carry him to the bench on the chair <laughs> I can't wait for Steph to get hurt when somebody drops the chair. Oh, no. I, I, you know, I, I, like you know, obviously I'm, I'm being slightly hyperbolic there, but I just I I do like the 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 just how completely over the top like everything is in in uh, in an NHL arena when a goal is scored, like a cannon fires and there's steam and confetti and people are throwing like animal dead animals on the ice like that's great man you're not one of those people that have to go clean it though i i you know i i, I apologize <laughs> to those people in, in the piece like you know it's it's great for everyone except for them like what's gonna happen yeah. like when when zion gets a big dunk or something in a timeout and everybody starts throwing dead pelicans out on the court like what what do you what do you want Seth? like Peta <laughs> might have a problem with with some of your issues here <laughs> Oh man! Well, I, uh, you know, we got to figure out what they do every time Ben Simmons hits a three, right? Right, Mike? Are you listening? <laughs> God, you totally what, what did suck, you say? Mike. What did you say this was the show? your time, Mike. This was your chance, and you blew it. I'm a silent partner in the show. You literally so. had one yeah, job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they needed to do what? Throw squids? Yeah, every time. Ben Simmons actually it's a three everyone gets to throw a squid on the court like they do in Detroit it's, it would be the perfect because that's the biggest moment in basketball that we have at this point it's the most unique thing because he refuses to shoot three so if he actually hit a three we should have something commiserate to that type of level of moment and it would be throwing squids because squids look awesome on a basketball court that's why we almost did an emergency daily ding actually we recorded an emergency daily ding is just a test when Ben Simmons hit a three in preseason, which might be the most like cold-blooded insult any player has ever received from a media member. It's the worst. Anyway, what are you guys doing this week? I'm gonna finish Ozark. I'm doing. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm doing some some uh, deep breathing exercises to calm down after the the the, <laughs> the rants I just had to un- to to yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm a- the, the, the unconvincing rant, but okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so next week 
uh, we're just the, the show's going to kick on, and I'm going to be in minute three of seven of my of my next rant. You'll have to guess what the first two <laughs> minutes were. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to uh, obviously the next two installments of uh, the Last Dance. Uh, something we we're going to talk about this week, which I hope we talk about next week. Uh, is I am a little uncomfortable with the way the documentary is is discussing Jerry Krause. Uh, yeah, I brought that up on Buds yesterday. Um, I feel like and we can just—I mean, we could just talk about it right now because I don't think it's going to take very long. But I think it glosses over the, you know, how good he was at his job, and then and then also there's you know a lot of un- like the bullying stuff is really kind of kind of gross. It's 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 bad. It's bad. It's I mean geeks getting pushed into lockers. Yeah, it's it's the the bullying stuff is is pretty bad in that sense. I mean, like it's it's definitely not okay in that regard. One thing I'll say, and this is where I'll get in trouble. Um, he also didn't always have to go to practice. Didn't always have to be on the team bus. Like it is not okay the way they treated him. But also, like just for me, like the way I am, like yo, if these people are going to be treating me this way. Like, I'll just meet them at the plane or whatever. Well, like, and he see, didn't have to go on every trip. Like, it wasn't this. It's not every road trip I've been on. I mean, like, we didn't have the GM at every with us the whole step of the way. Every now and then they'd come on the flight. Every now and then they might be scouting a college game nearby and, 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 and would pop in. But we didn't have them around constantly. Now, at home, like, yeah, they'd be at the they'd be watching practice you know, or, or, or whatever and things like that. And they'd interact and that's, and that's normal and that's part of it. But like, and, and that's my question more than anything else. Cause obviously I don't know, but like, was he on every road trip? Was he going on the team bus every time? Like I just, you know, the way, and, and, and somebody maybe can correct us if, if, uh, they know better, uh, or, or give me the insight, but like, now when we when we would travel there's two team buses there's the team bus with with the players the coaches uh trainers and 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 video guys and the other bus was everybody else and you know and there were times where i would just go on the other bus but that's where our media folks are are uh if we had another pr person would be on like we had two buses and it's always kind of i'm curious if that's something that was has changed over the years and they only had one bus back then or, or two buses. Like part of it is I'm curious how much, how often was he around it knowing that he's getting, I mean, it, it wasn't like they were kind of like subtly doing it. They were blatantly, as Seth said, st- stuffing a geek into a locker. I'm curious how much like he, he would always constantly just keep coming around and, and it, for it. So two, so two things here. One is, on one on one hand, like that's getting along with the coaching and playing staff is sort of part of the job, and like he obviously failed at that. Like that's that's that that's a fair critique, and you know there's there's probably some blame to go around to all parties there. The other the, the flip side of that though is um, being around the team is also part of the job, so. Uh, kind of your solution is like, well, these guys are bullying me, so I'm just not going to do, I'm not going to do that part of my job. And that doesn't seem a little bit of a chilling. Yeah, that doesn't seem like, but my question isn't that it's not that I don't think he should ever be around the team. It's just how often was it like, was he on every road trip? Was he on every team flight? Was he on like, that's the stuff I want to know. I don't have the answer to because that's not 
normal for front offices. Well, it's not normal for front offices now, but oh, I, I mean, how different was I, it I think in the nineties? I mean, you know, the my uh, my last two years in Milwaukee, there was at least one of the GM and assistant GM was on basically every road trip that I can, aside from perhaps during like the NCAA tournament or like a scouting trip to Europe. There was, you know, there was front office presence on every road trip, and I think that 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 I think that's pretty standard. Uh, if, uh, you know, I, I I can't say that I've surveyed all thirty teams, but I think that it's that it is more common than not that there is a high ranking person on the front office, whether it's the GM, assistant GM, or someone kind of high up the 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 uh, high up the, the 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 food chain, like is on the trip. I mean, for for in my experiences, and and part of it is two years I was with Pop, and Pop was basically both, so it doesn't doesn't necessarily count in that sense. But in my experiences in the with with the Clippers over the years, and and one year with Doc, same thing. We still, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't normal like that. It wasn't like frequent in that sense. It 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 it, it was a little bit less. Now maybe that's changed. I mean, I haven't been in the league in five years, six. Oh shit, I'm getting old. Um, but that mm-hmm. might be, but and maybe that's changed in in, in recent times. But back then, it, or when I was in, I just referred to it as back then. Damn. Um, but when I was in, it was it wasn't uh, uh, as as uh, uh, it wasn't as frequent. I mean, they were there for sure, and 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 I and I see these guys at games too, and 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 so on. But still, not always. Uh, I'm just curious how predominantly around was he was he just you know was it similar to my experiences where he he's around just a couple of times you know goes on a couple of trips a year or is it like Seth's experience where it's there are there's somebody there every time and if it's somebody there every time was it him every time and Reinsdorf gets okay. off scot-free he does and that that's a, that that's, is the that's, biggest that's thing. the that's where it all starts right because he could have yeah. ended it on both sides either he could have came in and 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 swung the stick and 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 really kind of helped Krauss out there. I mean, yeah. also and, and, part of know. it is like, you know, there's no question that, that, you know, Scotty Pippen was massively underpaid and yeah, you signed a contract and, and that's, that's fair enough. But at the same time, this is okay. You have this like world destroying team that's making money hand over fist. And this is a problem. Right. Like that there, you know, there are, I, I don't know what, what the cap rules would have been at the time for like renegotiating or something, but actually if I can if I could point people to a place where they can find that answer, uh my good buddy Jeff Siegel over at earlybirdrights.com wrote a really good piece about Scottie Pippen's contract situation and the salary cap at the time. Um so he kind of broke it down and and answered those questions. So definitely go check that out. But um there were some salary cap issues with trying to give him a raise but i feel you yeah. Seth, i do feel you on the, the the bullying itself is just uncomfortable like the 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 yeah. jokes jordan makes and like it's one thing if you if if we make it with each other it's us just kind of busting each other's balls but like he, he's doing it with malice same for pippen yeah it, like yeah. it's 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 it, it, it is kind of tough and and yep. uh, you know unfortunately he is we we, we can't get his side of the story because you know he yeah, he passed away a couple of years ago, and so that, that like the amount of dunking on Jerry Krause in the first two episodes was 
I mean, I I don't want to say it's my least favorite part of it. I just it was the part that was like, yeah, you know, uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Mo, what are you what are you doing this week? Uh, I besides continuing to watch old games like I like to do, I am uh, diving into one of our buddies books, Ethan Strauss, The Victory Machine. Uh, diving into that. I just started reading that again. I'm a slow reader, but. Uh, 50 pages in and already enjoying it. Cool. Uh, and by the way, go buy that book. That's it. Uh, that's it for this week. <laughs> we'll be back next week with more Nerder She Wrote.